Welcome to The Vine, a plant media project podcast with your hosts, Elizabeth Sheldon and Gina Vensel. The Vine is an insightful look into the world of plant medicine, exploring the changing landscape around cannabis and psychedelics, and ending the stigma through educational discussions. The Vine podcast does not offer medical advice nor condone any use of illegal substances. Consult your physician or therapist before making changes to your wellness plan and before trying alternative healing medicines. Today, we welcome Laura Don, a psychedelic advocate, author, international speaker, and host of the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast. Through her retreats and online programs, Laura Don teaches thought leaders, executives, CEOs, creative professionals, and pro athletes about plant medicine. Microdosing mindset and how to intentionally explore psychedelics and sacred plant medicines as powerful visionary tools for growth, transformation, and creative manifestation. Laura Dawn is currently pursuing a master's in science in the Creativity Studies and Change Leadership Program at SUNY. We want to welcome you to the Vine, Laura Dawn. Mm, thank you so much. Yes, welcome, Laura Dawn. We're excited to have you. So we always like to start off asking our guests how they got started with plant medicine and would love to hear your story. Oh, gosh, going way, way back at this point, uh, I kind of like to say that (laughs) I I like to joke that psychedelics hand raised me and forged me into the woman that I am today. Um, It's been a hot minute, about maybe 23 years at this point. I had my first high dose psilocybin experience when I was about 14 or 15. And I've always sort of had just a really strong calling to explore the unknown. And I felt like my dream reality was more interesting than my waking reality. I remember being a kid just so excited to be able to go home and go to sleep so that I can go back into my dream world that was just magical. And I like flew a lot in my dreams when I was a kid. And uh, it was just such a different realm. And I had someone close to me um, in my family who's about a decade older than me who was telling me about some of their psychedelic journeys when I was just, I was very young at that point. He would tell me that he was going on these magical adventures and canoes with giant frogs and magical mushrooms. And so it was, I feel like it was sort of primed, you know, since I was a, a kid that this was sort of my destiny and that medicines had chosen me in a certain way. And it was during my teenage years that, you know, it wasn't sort of, quote unquote, ceremonial use. It was more recreational use. Uh, But I am a believer that recreational use can really have a time and place and can have really huge benefits. And it was those it was really those experiences that, that allowed me to step out of my frame of reference and look up at the universe and really start asking big questions around why I'm here and what my purpose is. And I I was always kind of a kid that already beat to my own drum. You know, everyone was going left and I was like, huh, how far off the deep end can I, you know, hurl myself in this direction? And then when I started working with psilocybin, I remember, you know, being 15 years old and thinking, wow, this is totally a thing. And I could like help people navigate these realms because this is really different. (laughs) And, and so, you know, it's just been with me as a parallel path um, my whole life. But I I was also raised by two entrepreneurs and parents who had very philanthropic philosophy. 
And so, and also very strong mindset towards looking for opportunity, not just to benefit ourselves, but to create positive change in the world. And so I would say, you know, that combined with the medicines have really brought me to where I am today. in, in, in really, it's just such a blessed position to help support the movement and be a bridge worker for so many millions of people who are now stepping into working with medicines for their first time. Well, we read um, about a traumatic account about your land and a volcano and how you had to completely rebuild your business. So I was wondering if you could maybe tell us a little bit about that and what the role the plant medicine may have played in helping you rise up from that loss to build a new successful business. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I mean, well, I guess just stepping back one step before that, I I feel I mean, just to sort of even add a little bit more to that to the story I was just sharing was, you know, I really feel that the main teaching and and I don't think it's a coincidence that at this point in time where we're facing crisis on so many fronts, that we are seeing an explosion of interest in psychedelic medicines that help us think differently and perceive reality in a different way. And that there are medicines like ayahuasca vine that has been traditionally referred to as the visionary vine, you know, for for many, many years by indigenous cultures. And so there's this this sort of curriculum that I feel like I stepped into with working with plant medicines around what does it really mean to be a visionary and then start looking at, okay, you know, right now I'm studying creative problem solving and leadership and also looking at what it means to expand the boundaries of what we believe is possible and really think bigger. And so I would say, you know, I was raised by my father was a visionary. He was the person who would come up with ideas and then translate them into reality. And you know what it means to be a visionary is that you're able to hold a vision beyond what we can see. You know, and it's not just for the Oprah Winfrey's and the Nelson Mandela's of our time. It's really for anyone who wants to say, I have an idea, I have a vision and it's compelling me. It's it's moving me towards action and that I can actually take action to transmute that vision and anchor it into reality for the benefit of all beings. And so, you know, it was my father that really sort of planted that seed. He used to tell me as a child, whatever you see in your mind, you can create in reality. And I was also raised as an athlete. And so I was taught visualization practices from a very young age. I was competing and diving and a big part of my training was actually running through mental rehearsal around, you know, performing and competing and practicing my my dives. And so it was, you know, I worked with psilocybin for about 10 years. And then about 10 years ago, I sat with ayahuasca for the first time. And it was a little over 10 years ago at this point. But I, I distinctly had that feeling that, oh, this medicine, part of what I'm here to receive from this medicine is a deepening of an understanding about what it means to be a visionary and how to teach visionary leadership. And it was in that very first journey that I had a vision to build a retreat center. And that I, and it was just very clear that I was going to build a space for transformation to unfold. And my sort of past life, you know, career pre really coming out of the psychedelic closet was in health and wellness. I was focusing on addiction, specifically food addiction. I wrote a book about food addiction, as well as 
Um, I'm, many listeners probably know the For Dummies series by Wiley. It's a very big brand. I wrote Mindful Eating for Dummies. I went back to, to school and got a degree in holistic nutrition. And ultimately, you know, psychedelics and plant medicines were helping me heal my own relationship to food, mostly through reconnecting to the earth and through finding a deeper harmonious relationship to, to food and to food as medicine. And so, you know, fast forward years after that, that vision to build a retreat center, and I've been leading transformational retreats for over 10 years now. And so we built this amazing place and, and it was sort of built on a shoestring and on a string of magic and just so many prayers that went into building something and holding a vision of something that was deeply meaningful to me to create a space for people to come and find healing. And it, so many things happened along the way that were just, just, just a testament to the power of what it means to hold a strong intention, a vision, and really align with that vision. And so when we bought the land, we didn't know that we were going to tap into a hot spring water. And so that was one major miracle that happened. And there was a, a, another distinct moment, turning point of time where it was sort of a sink or swim moment. I was holding this mil multi-million dollar vision and yet we had very little money and no machinery to help, you know, move things on the land. We were managing 10 acres and we had a private mortgage and it was just, you know, an uphill slog. And there was just this moment that was really a sink or swim moment for launching the vision of this retreat center and I went to the medicine and I really prayed and it wasn't like, oh, I'm praying for money. It was just like, I'm praying for a miracle, you know, that if this is meant to happen, that some forces are going to align. And I know not everyone resonates with the P word, the prayer word. I actually didn't for many, many years um, for my life until actually I felt like plant medicines really taught me what it meant to hold a prayer and unbroken focus and really set an intention and open up to connect with some greater life force that's here to support us on our mission. And it was the first experience of really just feeling like, you know, the, the seas parted and like I was whispering my prayers, my desires, my intentions into sort of the source of creation and I had built my first online brand to a million and a half followers on Facebook. And once I hit about a half a million followers, uh, I never checked my messages anymore. Um, it was just, we were getting so many messages every day. And this was a brand around spreading positivity around the world. And so after that, that journey where I actually felt like this energetic release you know, there's a lot of pressure in bringing this vision to fruition. And it was like this lightness, this levity that happened. And I actually opened up this channel. It was almost like this channel of abundance. And in the sit, after I had this experience of like really just super focused intention, there was this moment where I reached out in front of me, you know, in the ceremonial realms, the psychedelic realms. So, you know, for people listening who might not have experience with psychedelics, it might sound sort of um, esoteric, but you know, you're in a very different dimension, uh, an altered state of consciousness. And in that ceremony, I reached out and I felt this dense mass and I kind of experienced it as this like blockage into my channel of receiving around limiting beliefs and just the ways that I 
I was holding on to past identities and realities of what I believed that I was capable of. And I reached out and I touched this dense mass and I moved it aside. And I felt this just huge sense of relief. And then the next day I opened my Facebook page. And again, I never checked these messages. It had been years, months since I had checked these messages. And I literally just opened the messenger inbox, scrolled down, clicked on a message. And it was from a company that wanted to buy the brand. And within seven days, I had six figures in my bank account and I was able to build the retreat center that we had been visioning. And it was incredible. You know, we, we ended up drilling a well and ended up building a volcanic hot spring retreat center that thousands of people were able to come and experience healing, you know, where we'd walk out and people would be crying in the garden, you know, connecting to earth in a way that is so needed for our times. And so, you know, that was a really big part of the of the journey. And then fast forward some years, we were really just hitting our stride with the retreat center. And I was at a big turning point in my life. I had been doing sort of underground work for many years with psychedelics. And but I was in the publicly, my online brand was in the health and wellness space. And it was a friend who told me that Michael Pollan was coming, just announced that he was coming out with a book on psychedelics and it would be released in six months. And I knew in that moment, because I was already tracking Michael Pollan's work through the health and wellness, the food books that he had written. And I knew in that moment that it was time, that things were shifting. And I had been watching this shift happen over two decades, but I just, I knew in my bones that it was time to really start thinking about stepping out in a more public way because I was healing myself of addiction and depression with psychedelics. And when I was doing work with people, you know, I would, that's where I was really seeing the impact, you know, yes, in addition to mindfulness based awareness practices and, you know, daily practices and mindset shifts and all of these other tools that are incredibly beneficial and complementary, but a lot of the sort of catalyst of change that I was seeing in my life and other people's lives was through working with medicines. And so, you know, fast forward some some year months, I guess it was about six months after that. And I had a really profound experience with a batch of medicine. And I won't mention location, country or timeline or who was there just because of all the legalities of who we you know, the reality that we're still living in with prohibition, but it was a six week medicine experience that changed my life. And I felt that things were really starting to change. And I sort of started downloading this curriculum around how we can really live in authentic alignment with our truth. And then six months later, I started to feel really big shifts. I'd been living on the, the big island for many years and we're on an active volcano here. So when you start thinking about like the amount of energy that's directly under your feet, it's magma that has not stopped flowing, you know, for many, many years. And it was just this moment of energetic upheaval. And I felt it in my body. And I started saying to my, my partner who built the retreat center with me, we're, we're actually, you know, going through our own transition right now out of our marriage. But my partner at the time, you know, I said to him like, wow, I really am getting the sense that we should sell the retreat center or that something's going to happen. And 
we held this beautiful ceremony on the land. And right before the ceremony, I was like crying and sobbing and saying, wow, I really feel like this is going to be like our last ceremony here. And everyone was kind of just like, what is wrong with you? Like, what is going on? And then um, the week after that, I had a private solo journey. And it was a very deep experience. It was, you know, many years into my journey with psychedelics, but I had this experience for the first time of what it really meant to surrender. And so I knew that these big shifts were happening. And I really had this moment of like putting my life on great spirits altar and saying, okay, like, what do you want to do with my being my vessel, my life? And I just felt like the tectonic plates within my being really shifted. And that night I was sitting in meditation and I picked up my guitar and this song came through all in one fail swoop. And there was four lines from the song, trust in the great unknown, trust that the highest will unfold, trust that the way will be shown and uh, look into your hands. Those are the keys that you hold. And then the next morning I woke up to the tectonic plates under the earth shifting and thousands of earthquakes over the next course of that week. And I just knew, and mm. I was standing in the garden and I have goosebumps telling this story every time. And I, I was standing in the garden and a friend ran over and said, we just caught word that the subdivision that is above our land, just the road split open and lava started flowing. And now, you know, there's lava flowing in our community. And we started evacuating in that moment. And because of volcanic eruptions, it's kind of like being in a war zone because the earth is literally splitting open and these huge gas emissions come out that are like bombs going off. They make these huge like bomb-like noises and they're emitting huge amounts of gases. So we're in, you know, gas masks and there's only one real road in and out of our area. And that road ended up getting covered by lava. And we had spent, you know, years of our lives building this center that all of a sudden we're <sighs> trying to get as much stuff out as possible, just as much stuff as we can. And everyone's trying to get out. And so this is actually happening over the course of about a couple of weeks. The lava started slower, but then if anyone looks up the volcanic eruption on the big island from 2019, at one point it was just moving at miles and miles and miles an hour so fast, and it covered a huge, huge amount of area, and our community was devastated and has been completely, was completely ripped apart. Many of our friends lost their homes, and... I was in total shock and we had a friend that said, you know, the, the air quality was so bad and we were staying at a friend's place above the rift zone and we didn't, you know, we just, it was just total trauma. And so we had a friend that said, here, go to our friend's place in Costa Rica, just go and land. And so we packed a bag and we flew to Costa Rica and I landed and this wonderful couple that didn't even know us, you know, took care of me. I wasn't even forming full sentences at that point. I was still just in total shock. And I was there for a few months and what we watched from a distance and just prayed. And we had one little topographical like incline that was in our favor. And so, you know, basically the lava kept going right around our land and scooping down around it. And someone actually made us an offer on the land while lava was flowing less than a mile away because it was a really, really special place. Wow. And so we ended up accepting the offer and 
it was an excruciating decision and it was a time of deep trauma, you know, and it felt like literally severing off like part of my body and giving it to somebody, you know, like that's what it felt like. And, you know, the, I think the big moral of the story is that, and, and it's sort of been the, the, the sequential journey of my life is that, you know, we can hold a vision and we can create, and it's the path of creating that actually is inherently fulfilling. And it's the path of, of actually, you know, taking each step that that project shaped me into who I am today, like on a very real, real level. And no one can really take that away from me. And we are living in a time of rapid, rapid change. And so I felt like the message I kept getting was like, this was the, the training ground. And I truly believe that all of my years working with ayahuasca and with plant medicines in general were the training ground to help us foster this sense of resilience, this sense of showing up in the middle of the discomfort and being able to navigate these tidal waves of change. And that my story was just the microcosm on the larger macrocosm of going into a pandemic now. And so many people having to let go of identity, of what they believe to be true, of what they've created. And it's a time of letting go. And so I feel like, you know, that has been sort of my training ground around trusting spirit, trusting the medicine, trusting that song that came through that was reaching through time and saying, trust this process right now. And I catapulted into such a dark night of the soul. And it was just that trust from that song, from the medicine that just was there for me for an entire year. And I know looking back that I needed to let go of that in order to really step through into this other side in terms of like the way that I'm showing up and the way that I'm reinventing myself and the way that I'm up leveling on so many levels. Sometimes we need to let go and let things fall apart for things to come back together in a more cohesive way. And so I can speak from that place you know, for so many people who are going. Elizabeth and I can too. I can tell you that much. <laughs> we, that's how we met each other and really formed this company was from loss, was from, you know, losing our lifestyle cannabis magazines after we had worked really hard to build them. And then through that loss, you know, realizing that there was a larger purpose for us and that it wasn't just cannabis that we wanted to focus on, but all plant medicines and sharing that same vision and coming out of that place of loss was how we were able to, you know, bring plant medicine, our plant media project to life. So I, I love hearing this story and love learning more about it. But for our listeners that, that, that don't know, did you move to Hawaii to start the retreat or had you lived there before prior to all of this, or was it really a part of this plant medicine journey that brought you to the big Island? Yeah, I was actually living out of a backpack for six years before I came to the big Island and I was in Australia and I met this woman who was Hawaiian and I started having dreams and the, the medicine just kept calling me to the big Island. And I won't get into that whole story, but it's another just incredible story. But the moment I landed on the big Island, uh, I just knew that this was going to be my home. And then two nights later I drank ayahuasca for the first time. And then I was been here for 10 years. And now you're catching me at a moment where I'm sort of flying out of the nest again, you know, and, and this has happened a few times in my life where it was like having to really let go of so much to step into a new chapter. 
And now I'm closing the circle on my marriage that's been 10 years. And I'm actually letting go of the last 10 acres that we own here in Hawaii. And I'm just trusting my guidance and spirit. And I, I know this game now, you know, and I know how to trust. And I think, you know, I just want to say something about trust because I think a lot of people in the spiritual community might hear like, oh, trust that it's all going to be okay. And actually it's not that. It's not trust that it's all going to be okay because we don't know what the result of anything is going to be. But it's a trust in our capacity to stay centered through the movement of change and trust in our capacity to have strength and to stay mindful and to hold our seat in the middle of the, the chaos of the whirlwind. And that's the kind of fortitude, the inner fortitude that I'm speaking to that is really required of these times. So not a trust that, you know, oh, I'm going to build the retreat center and it's going to be like this because I had to let go of the retreat center. But it's a trust that, you know, it's the, the flying through the air, the process, the journey that that's why we do it. That's why we take those leaps of faith is because the inherent act of creating the way that you're creating, the way you created with your magazine, with this podcast, it is inherently meaningful in and of itself, regardless of what the outcome is. And I think that's a big shift in our cultural narrative that we're going through right now. I have seen um, some different things and you are a shamanic life coach is, is what I think I've read. So I wanted to see if you could help us understand what does that mean actually? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, yeah, I was going to mention that uh, I, I have used that for quite a long time. And, you know, I'm also kind of expanding beyond it as I'm really up leveling my offerings right now in such a big way. But I do love the the, you know, shamanic terminology and not from um, calling myself a shaman, which is very different than saying shamanic or shamanic practices. Um, but when we start looking at shamanism and, and the root word of shaman means one who sees in the dark. And I think that that's what it means to be a visionary and that what essentially the heart of what I do, no matter what I call it, is that I'm teaching people how to bridge the gap between the unseen dimensions from which everything emanates from. And that's not, you know, so esoteric. When we look at, you know, quantum mechanics on a very real level of current understanding of physics, everything is energy. Everything is energy in motion and we're made of it. And that there is a different dimension operating beyond which the eyes can see. And that I consider my body and our beings to be this bridge, this channel from which I can tap into an unseen dimension and translate that into this realm that we see with our eyes and senses. And so, you know, when we look at some things that are being said by, that have been said by Einstein or Tesla, for example, that, you know, if you want to understand the secrets of the universe, you have to understand energy and frequency and vibration. And that, you know, Einstein said things like, the field is the sole governing agency of the particle. And we're starting to look at, you know, Rupert Sheldrake's morphogenic field and things like that, that when I talk to shamans who are really not versed in quantum mechanics, they're saying the same thing. They say, you go into spirit realm, 
You go into spirit realm, you pray in spirit realm, you hold clear intention in spirit realm, and then you watch it in waking consciousness. I've had these conversations with shamans that have that same, they're both pointing to the same thing. And so that's really my perspective is that right now we are in a moment of time where we actually need to think bigger. You know, Einstein said, we can't solve our problems at the same level of thinking that created them. That's real. And that what we need to do is find new solutions that are actually outside of our field of awareness. And it was actually after my last really big retreat that the pandemic hit. And as soon as the pandemic hit, I knew that it was going to be a while. And so that's why I went back to graduate school so I can focus on, and that's what I've been training in for this past year, is deep leadership training as well as um, facilitation for creative problem solving for teams. And so my whole graduate degree has been looking at how do we leverage psychedelic experiences and those windows of mental cognitive flexibility to hold a vision that doesn't yet exist and find solutions and leverage the creative problem solving process. And research shows that we can do that's trainable, that's learnable, that's a process that people can learn and that we can engage in those processes and also, you know, dive into the neuroscience of perception and how we can open up our perceptual field of awareness to find solutions that we have haven't yet located so that we can actually find solutions to the challenges that we collectively face. And so, you know, the, the shamanic part is a really big aspect of that. You know, I feel like I hold one foot in that realm and one foot in this realm, one foot in like the, the medicine space and one foot in the, the business, the corporate space. And I like bridging those gaps. You know, I feel like it was the whole story of what brought me to here has really put me in that perfect position to influence in the way that I am influencing. So I, I really wanted to, to touch base on like, you know, your clients and how you help them decide, you know, do you work with them and, and figure out, you know, is this, you know, client someone that would be looking more for an ayahuasca experience where someone else might be looking for psilocybin. So, and I know that you work with a lot of CEOs and business professionals. So I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on, you know, how do you decide which plant medicines are best for your clients and how do you define what business professional, you know, what they need for their mental and spiritual growth? Like how do you get to know these clients better to help decide which plant medicines are best for their journeys? Oh, I mean, that's a huge question. And like right off the bat, I'll say that I don't decide. I never say, oh, you should work with psilocybin or you should work with ayahuasca or LSD. Like never does that, th those words come out of my mouth. I'm like scaffolding, you know, I'm like really strong support for people. And a lot of people already have an intuitive sense of the direction that they want to go in. So um, you know, I do work with microdosing support as a very powerful integration tool. And I also facilitate retreats out of the country in Costa Rica. And so right now, um, you know, with the pandemic, it's, it's pretty, uh, I'm not ready to get back into the retreat space. Although, I mean, I'm ready, but I don't think the world's quite ready yet. Um, and I'm really, really, really excited to be able to do more in-person work because I think we all know that we're all experiencing some level of Zoom fatigue right now. Um, but so I, so for example, you know, I just led, um, a three month ma microdosing mastermind program where I work a lot with leaders in the psychedelic space. And then I do lots of one-on-one -on -one coaching with, um, 
prominent people in different domains, different fields. Uh, and so when I work with them, you know, they're coming to me and I, I have also a very thorough intake. So I have a sense of, you know, why are these people reaching out? What are they looking for? And there's always core stuff. You know, everyone's really dealing with the same stuff these days. It's, you know, finding meaning through this enormous rapid time of change. Uh, a lot of it is to do with healing wounds of unworthiness. Um, I have a, I work a lot with people around embodied leadership. So, you know, one client who leads a team of 5,000 people in the medical space and who's dealing with a lot of stress and overwhelm and a lot of change happening very rapidly. So I weave together somatic embodiment practices, uh, microdosing, if they feel that that's what they are ready and want and are feeling called to, as well as mindset. And, you know, I weave in a lot of Eastern philosophy with a lot of science-backed research. And I'm also moving into working much more with uh, teams in the psychedelic space and beyond as well. And so, you know, how to lead in more effective ways, which ultimately looks at how do we, um, you know, one of the core pillars of effective leadership is embodying emotional intelligence. So we're looking at emotional self-awareness. I mean, all of these big components that the medicine actually can really help with. Um, so somatic embodiment, looking at nervous system regulation, mm -hmm. understanding interoceptive, which is our internal signals and the communication that our body is giving us as we are on our path, as we're leading, as we're engaging with people, no matter what the situation is. So I've really trained in sort of a wide range of modalities, and I've put together a unique framework that works just resonant with, with who I am and the way that I like to support people. And it's always evolving. You know, it's always, it's always growing and evolving. And being going through this graduate school program has been very illuminating in terms of the creativity aspect of, of things and really looking at the way that most people are just not trained in creativity. So on a one-on-one -on -one level, you know, starting to go more into um, these deeper into like mastermind programs where I can be teaching more team facilitation and groups, how to leverage psychedelic experiences to enhance cognitive flexibility and to find solutions in their personal and professional lives to the challenges that we face. And again, the research shows that that's very trainable, that's teachable, and that the training actually works very well. You know, you've done so many uh, amazing things, and you talk a lot about um, these visionary techniques and practices. So, um, and I know you alluded to some of it, but can you um, tell us how you incorporate that in with plant medicine? Yeah. And... Um, yeah, how how that's all working together because I have to imagine that you had a vision, you know, after everything burnt to the ground and you, you know, rebuilt your business and yourself, like you had to had to see something, right? You had to move towards something new. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so much that we could dive into here. Um, especially when we start looking at the research around Olympic athletes and mental rehearsal and the way that if we close our eyes and run through 
a mental rehearsal of embodying, let's say you want, you're, you're holding the vision of speaking in front of large audiences and training your body in through your mind's eye to be able to stay centered and have a balanced nervous system in situations like that. This is just an example that when we go into our mind in that way, that there's I not- like this example because I know that sometimes when I've done public speaking, I can't remember a thing I said. It's like I blacked out. <laughs> right, right. Or maybe you tapped into flow and really moved out of the way, and your prefrontal cortex shut down, and you, you know, went more into uh, that that flow state. Oh, I like that. Yeah, uh, that happens a lot, actually, when I go into those places where it's coming from something so beyond me. And that's why this is such an integrated conversation and approach, because we can train our bodies through daily practice, you know, and that's essentially what we're doing. And the big part of the work I do with clients or groups or at retreats is understanding the path of mastery is the path of showing up to daily practice. And that is not easy to show up for. It's not as easy as it sounds. And so part of the daily practice is learning how to use and flex our mind in a way that we weren't really taught. We weren't really trained to go within and to hold an image and see ourselves through mental imagery, through visualization um, to, let's say, speak in front of a crowd. Okay. And so when we do that, we're actually the mind and the body are connected and the brain doesn't always really know the difference between what's really happening and what we're imagining in our minds. That's why you can be driving to work and you think of a, something that a coworker or a friend said that really just rubbed you the wrong way and then your heart starts pounding. I mean, that's that that thing didn't just happen. It's just happening in your mind and your body's reacting to it. So a big part of the training, too, is understanding the mind-body connection and understanding, you know, psychosomatic connections and understanding that when we go in, we can actually imprint the mind through visionary experiences. And that when we look at, for example, research that was done with ayahuasca, Robin Card Harris did this uh, research also with LSD to show that when we are working with psychedelics, closed eye visions take on a level of reality that we don't normally experience. So I see them as like ushering us into this capacity because again, going back to what I started with, like there is so much research to show that mental imagery and mental rehearsal is linked to success and is linked to the achievement of what we want to accomplish, not just by visualizing the end goal that actually can backfire, but by visualizing the steps that we need to take to get to in be in alignment with our goals. And we're also priming the brain to look for that experience. And I mean, I, I have about a four hour module on this topic, so it's quite a lot to get into. But when we start understanding like the neuroscience of perception and what we're picking out in our environment, we can train the mind to look for opportunities, for example, and look for things that we've normally been sort of closing ourselves off to as a limitation, we can, through the power of mental rehearsal, train ourselves to look for new potentials, okay? So we also know that, you know, mental rehearsal is linked to performance, high performance. A lot of the people that I'm working with, they're performing at a very high level. I was also raised as an athlete. I also work with professional athletes. 
being an executive is very much like being a professional athlete. A lot of these tools are applied. When we look at Navy SEAL training, one of the four core aspects of Navy SEAL training in terms of mental toughness is visualization. You'll hear Navy SEAL trainers say, we visualize everything that we do. And that's it's, it, there's so much evidence to show that. And not everyone knows how to use their mind in that way. And again, you can train yourself and you can get a little help from your plant medicine friends who actually teach you how to do it very, very effectively and from a place that's heart-centered. So when we start combining that research with research that shows that people who work with psychedelics tend to uh, display higher degrees of empathy, for example, we start looking, we are building a framework that's rooted in psychedelic science to show how do we leverage those windows of opening, a heart opening, an empathic opening, and then combine that with visionary states so that we can actually step into the highest fulfillment of what we're here to do to be in service. You know, and so the the framework that I teach is called the path of the creative visionary bodhisattva. And the bodhisattva piece is important. And whether Eastern philosophy, you know, terminology resonates with you or not, it's really just compassionate leadership and what it means to show up to be in service that we're not visualizing more money in the bank account. We're visualizing, you know, what bring what makes us come alive, what brings us meaning, what brings purpose, what allows us to strengthen our relationships, especially as leaders. Relationship management is such a big aspect of what makes us, you know, that's a big part of emotional intelligence, emotional awareness. And so, again, it's really looking at a bunch of different building blocks and creating a sort of framework that is like the scaffolding for leaders, for thought leaders, for executives, for business, you know, whatever level of business, whether you're a sole proprietor or, you know, managing a 5,000 person team, these are all effective techniques. So to take it one step further, we know that clarity is incredibly important. People who are clear about the vision that they hold are much more likely to align with that vision. So plant medicines help us get clear. They help us go into what we call the ideal the ideal self rather than the ought self, the I should be this self. They help us sort of peel back those layers of societal conditioning and say, this is who I am, this is what I stand for. So they help us gain clarity on meaning and purpose and fulfillment. And then we combine that with literature and research, you know, there's a lot of research to show that actually when we write down our visions, so for a first step, someone might have a microdosing practice, or they might, you know, be working with plant medicines, where they really take the time to write their vision out. And then they run through that on a regular basis, you know, an ideal day, for example, an ideal morning in a meditation practice, maybe with microdosing, maybe not. And then we're actually also priming the mind so that when we go into deeper dive experiences, we're, it's, it's literally priming the brain to focus more on what we want to create rather than more on what we're afraid of, our failures, the limitations we have in our lives. So as you can see, there's kind of a lot of different components. And that's why my training programs are, you know, over the course of months, because we're you know, we're, there's really quite a lot to understand and cover. But when we start looking at these visionary tools and techniques and back it by science, but also back it by plant medicine wisdom, 
we and and also you know many personal stories of how these things have sort of aligned in my own life and talking to other people who this is you know what's transpired in their lives as well we actually create a very compelling narrative and that's important you know the stories we tell ourselves around what's possible the conceptual frameworks that we build create our reality so I create a narrative, I embody this archetype of what it means to be a visionary. And that narrative then further lends itself to my experience as a visionary. It trains my mind how to perceive reality in a very specific way that allows me to literally expand the boundaries of what I believe is possible, not as a catchy tagline, but as really a fundamental truth that we are expanding our belief systems and shaping our belief systems. And this is a time of fluid transformation where we, you know, can really benefit from a lot of these teachings to let go of old ways that we think we are, that we think the world works and let go of that and find that fluidity, that cognitive flexibility to move into these, these, this next phase of rapid transformation. You know, I really hope that a lot of CEOs, um, you know, go into this and, and consider this because, you know, Elizabeth and I talk a lot about how we truly believe there can be compassionate capitalism and that that can oh, yeah. be a real thing. But what we need are leaders in the space to really understand how to lead with a compassionate, heart-centered approach. So I, I really just love so much what you said. And also in just kind of the simplest way, you know, it, using, using the Buddhasadva, you know, kind of language, you know, the Buddha said, what we think we become. So it can be just as simple as, you know, realizing that every thought that we have, you know, that intention that we put out into the universe is so very important and shapes who we are. So I definitely want to make sure that, you know, you have a lot of resources on your website that are free and then you have the courses as well. So I wanted to see if you can just take a couple minutes to let our listeners know how they can learn more, how they can participate in some of your master classes um, or even take some one on one uh, workshops with you. OK, great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, so my home base is livefreelaurad.com. I'm kind of going through actually a really big overhaul where I'm separating out the psychedelic leadership brand from my personal page. Um, but I do have a free eight day microdosing course there. I have, um, some psychedelic playlists for journeys. One of them is really, really great for microdosing morning flows. Um, I just finished my mastermind. It was a three-month program. I finished it about a month ago, and I'll be launching the next one in the new year. And then people can also go on my website and look at uh, my new consulting offerings and my one-on-one -on -one coaching packaging. And, um, and if people are listening and they're also working with teams and you're interested in doing team building offsites that may or may not include plant medicines... Um, then I'm, I'm stepping into that space as well. And it's been uh, really just so fulfilling to do that work on the team level as well. We got to get a team together, Elizabeth. You ready? I know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll work on that for sure. Well, it has been such a joy getting to know you and to hear your story. And to really, I mean, I've been listening to you on Clubhouse. I've been following you on social and you're just such a special person. And so we're so glad to be able to have you on here to really like dive in a little deeper about what it is that you do. So thank you so much what you do for others, what you're doing for the, the plant medicine community as a whole. I second that. <laughs> thank you. And there is there is one more brief thing I would love to share with your listeners before we wrap up, if that's okay. Of course. Yeah. Um, so I'm launching a nonprofit that we're really excited about 
called growmedicine.com. And so this was also a result of the creative problem solving process where we started looking at, you know, how do we make it easier for people in Western culture to embody reciprocity, to make it easier to give back, to uh, donate towards plant medicine conservation efforts. And so we're, we're building an app. The first launch is going to be a mobile friendly website and you literally just open growmedicine.com and there's options. You click on the button of the medicine that you want to support and it goes towards a partnering organization. So if you work with Iboga or not even work with Iboga, but you feel the call because the situation with Iboga is incredibly dire right now that's going extinct in the wild. There's elephant poaching associated with Iboga poaching. Um, so we partner with, for, for Iboga, Blessings of the Forest. And we're really focused on making this a huge part of Western medicine culture and making it really easy because there's a lot of initiatives of people doing really good work in the indigenous reciprocity space. And yet uh, it's not very easy to find them, to vet them, to know who, where the money is going and to know, you know, how, how is that money getting spent? And so with Grow Medicine, we're really just focused on aligning with the right partners and um, helping to support some of these incredible, incredible initiatives that really need our support right now. It sounds fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Vine, a plant media project podcast. Thank you to Laura Dawn for joining us on today's show. And be sure to tune in wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to never miss an episode. For cannabis and psychedelic news, visit us online at plantmediaproject.com. Together, we can end the stigma around plant medicine.